So I almost choked up today when I was praying for the kids because I realized that um, every, every dinner meal, I pray for my children, especially when they're gone. So when one of them's home, and I, we pray for the ones that are gone, they say, do you pray for me when I'm gone? Oh, yeah. We always pray for the children, whether they're in their 20s or they're in their twos. We're praying for what God is doing in their lives. This morning as I was um, getting ready, I was ironing my shirt, which is common on Sunday morning. But this particular today, this shirt came out of the wash a long time ago, but it just went on a hanger and in my closet. I only iron them as I need them. Some people iron everything they have. I don't want to bother myself if I'm never going to wear that shirt again. But today, this shirt, particularly the sleeves, were like they were in a knot. And they weren't. They just were all crumpled so that even the iron on its hottest, steamiest um, position was having struggles getting the wrinkles out. I kind of, you know, it's linen, so as soon as you bend your elbows, there's creases again, but they go in a different direction. But I think that um, in the story that we're talking about this morning, there were patterns, long-time patterns, in the life of the people that it was like they were in knots. Because something so dramatically different happened that it took the highest, steamiest position on the iron to recrease them so that they could understand what was happening. And it says that they didn't even get it, some of them, until a long time after when they were reading uh, the prophets about what had happened and the Psalms about what had happened. So it's really true that at Passover, it, it's estimated that probably close to two and a half million people descended on Jerusalem. I don't know if anybody's been to Jerusalem lately, but I can't even imagine that many people in the vicinity of Jerusalem even now. And the city was quite smaller then than it is now. And so it stretched out all around, and I would imagine it was like a tent city, much like when our kids go to Mexico and they sleep in parking lots of tent cities, but not with two and a half million people. So I imagine the innkeepers were really delighted at that time for the, the rates that they could charge uh, for, their, for their beds. And meanwhile, most of the people were spread out around the countryside miles away. And in this case, Bethany was miles away. And the story that, um, that Don talked about and ministered from last week in John chapter 11 was that of Lazarus being raised. And that was in the, city, in the town of Bethany, some miles away from Jerusalem. And so that's kind of where the story starts because it's within the same week that that Jesus comes. I'm going to read John chapter 12, the first 19 verses. So if you have your uh, Bibles and want to follow along, 
uh, or you just want to listen, that's fine. The first 19 verses of chapter 12 in John. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us, uh, getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So there really was too much commotion at that time for Jesus to stop and speak to these people. If there really was that many people in the area, that meant there were a lot of people that were just attracted to the commotion. It also meant there were a lot of sightseers that had come out of Jerusalem because they heard that the one who raised Lazarus was coming into the city. Was it really the coronation of a king? Well, with all those people thinking about I don't know, we would think it was a rock star or a superstar or a Hollywood star. And there was this, this interesting irony that's related to the one 
that is riding humbly on a donkey, one that signified peace. It was a different situation than they, than they had experienced before. They may have celebrated teachers. They may have celebrated kings in their past. But nothing quite like this because their expectations had long been pressed in their minds of what they were to expect. And Jesus, the one that was coming into Jerusalem, was not the same one, was not the one that they expected. Some of that had to be steamed out of them and re-steamed into something different than that. The, the, the Jewish authorities could not control what was going on. And they felt uh, a pretty significant need because Lazarus had recently been raised from the dead. Now the priests were also Sadducees. I know this gets all confusing as who was in what camp. It's like who's a Republican and who's a Democrat and what color are they wearing or what animal signifies them. But it was really confusing to us because of not being there. But all the priests were Sadducees. And Sadducees were the ones that were put in charge, not only religiously, but they were the ones that were put in charge to oversee the governance. For Rome oversaw them, so if anything went wrong, they went right to the leaders, to the authorities, and they were at risk. And so the, the authorities could not afford politically to be messed with. They had to control their people. And the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. You see, it theologically is messing with them too. So politically, there's an agenda that they have. And the easiest thing is just to get rid of the problem, which was common. So their plan to get rid of the problem, i.e. Lazarus, and now that he was creating quite this commotion, Jesus as well. But their plan was stifled. They could not control it because the amount of people that were coming to see and coming to intersect with who Jesus was was far too many for them to control. I really like that, that Jesus rode on a donkey, an honorable animal in those days, as a sign of peace. I really like that. Because it pulls strains from our study. It's actually a peacemaking kingdom that comes out of, um, out of Isaiah. That, that forecasts who this Jesus is. And remember, pressed into their lives is not, they do not yet understand all the things that Scripture has told them. And how it shaped them. Remember when they came out. Remember Passover was right before they came out of Israel. And it took 40 years for God to begin to develop relationship with them. The formation that was going on during that time was 40 years worth. How many of you have been involved 40 years with any one thing? Well, I know some of you have been married that long. But some of us haven't. And some of us have been 
been connected with God for 40 years. But during that time, God is re-impressing us, on us, who he is and what he's up to. So, I, I kind of already talked about the political impact and the theological impact uh, and the, the, the quest, the plan to destroy Lazarus. If we just get rid of the evidence, our setting as, as religious leaders and political leaders will not be questioned. In this story, amidst that, there are character traits and themes that are going on. And if you read it carefully, and I'm going to bring some of these traits out, um, the traits of the characters that are in the story, but also the themes that are running through it, setting up what is to come next, which the kids know that when you celebrate Palm Sunday today, that means next week we're celebrating Easter and we're celebrating the resurrection. So between that, we celebrate his death. Now I have to tell you, and I may have told you this before, but having spent this season of one year in, in Honduras, that Holy Week, Semana Santa, is a huge celebration. And I was really impressed by how they celebrated down there. But the thing that was most shocking of all, that as soon as Friday came, the party was over. Everything disappeared. Everybody went back to normal. Every church was as if it was Sunday as normal. And I went, what happened to Easter? Well, Good Friday's over. Now it's back to normal. That was a little shocking to me. Um, that that happened, but this week is the week that we celebrate the Semana Santa or um, the Holy Week that we celebrate Christ's death and his resurrection. Now Martha, 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 you've heard the stories of Martha and in this particular story, Martha is exactly who she is in the other stories. She is the one that's preparing the meal. She is the one serving the table. She is loving Jesus so practically, all of her gifts, all of her skills and talents, and the, the way she is wired, this is her expression of how it works. She gave what she could, and she addressed the creature comforts, so to speak. Martha, the sister of Lazarus, the same one that served in all the other stories about these Jesus friends. And then there was Judas. Judas, Judas. We really only have one main memory of Jesus as the one that betrays him. But in fact, right here, Jesus trusts him. He's put in charge of the treasury. He carries the money bag for all those that are traveling with Jesus' group. And helped himself to it. And I can't tell you if, I, if Jesus trusted him on purpose to gather him more closely, or he just plain had skills in the area of managing money. Because it looks like, not only here, but in other places in our character traits, it's precisely in the area of our skills and our expertise where we're tempted. And it looks like he's tempted 
in an area of his own skills, of managing the money. It was also he found himself dipping into it. And it was Judas that raised the whole question of, what do you mean? We could have given that money to the poor, when in reality Jesus knew he wasn't worried about the poor, he was worried about the pilfering. Right? And there's a really key learning right in there that's really important because I, I look at this and I see this as the first act of Christian worship in the New Testament. When Mary, Mary, Mary comes with a year's um, income worth of perfume and washes his feet with perfume that's so valuable, can you imagine what you make in a year and that you would be willing to dispense that in one moment for a guest in your home? Mary, Mary, Mary recognized that sometimes before the moment is gone is a time of serving and giving and not recognizing who she is and what she's doing and in front of who she's doing it. Paying not attention to herself she wipes his feet with her hair. A sign of dignity to a woman. A sign that shows who you belong to. A sign of respect. And she returned to her childhood, released her hair to service to Jesus. Quite interesting the traits that are going on that are manifesting in a situation like this when Jesus is so present to them and on his way to Jerusalem. Along with the traits of those characters, the love that gets expressed practically, the love that gets uh, expressed in devotion, in acts of worship, are the foreshadowing that's going on. Jesus refers to this anointing as an anointing for his burial. Nobody gets it yet. Nobody really gets that Jesus is going to die. In fact, in the John text, it's the very next um, story that comes up or grouping of scripture where Jesus again forecasts for his disciples that he is going to die. When do you really get it? When does the things that have been pressed into your life so long finally get unpressed and repressed in a way that we see Jesus differently? That's going on in the precursor to the coronation when he parades in. And it's just a simple donkey that he borrows and sits on as he moves among throngs of people 
that are celebrating him for completely different reasons from each other. Some as sightseers. Some as just plain what is going on. Let's go over to that crowd and see what's going on. And some that have experienced and understood the resurrection of Lazarus, and they can't wait to be part of what they see as the coronation of a king, even if their concept of king is land and conquering, even if their picture is only one of a king on a horse. They transpose that from the donkey because in their imagination, that is the only way you have a king in which they are citizens. And Jesus is coming with a different kingdom. And it's kind of layered through there. The contrasts are, are quite interesting from rock star versus knowingly walking into a conspiracy of your own life. He is an outlaw. He's considered one that's marked. And he knows it. His disciples have warned him. And he comes anyway, knowing that that's going to happen. The contrast of knowing what he was doing and the disciples not knowing what he was doing. The Sadducees having a plan and their inability to execute the plan it is beyond their means to do that. But they have a new plan. It doesn't take them long to hatch a new plan to execute him. And the contrast between him taking their plan for his execution and making it the event that highlights Passover. Remember, Passover was the, the celebration that signified liberation. And Jesus takes that same kind of Passover imagery of the son, the first son, dying. And the rest of those people lived and Jesus dying so that the rest of us could live. Interesting ironies and layers of that, all that's going on that John is weaving into what seems on a cursory reading to be just a simple story. But all of these things are present. Imagine at the beginning... Even before this, we usually talk about these things at Christmas. When God set down his crown, when he stepped off his throne, when he set aside his glory, and he became a baby. It's the same imagery that's being used. He still set those things aside. And now he's walking into coronation, not in the perspective of God, because I would imagine a coronation for God would look somewhat different than one riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to a crowd that is cheering for him, some for good reason, some for reasons unknown. But because he set aside those things and he's walking in, he still has a purpose. 
the purpose of riding on a donkey, that he is ushering in a kingdom. But it doesn't fit the contrast between the expectation and what he is proposing, even though it has been forecast for eons. They still don't get it because their sleeves are tied up in knots. But completely capable of being unknotted and reformed. One of the characteristics of God is forming us into his people. One of the characteristics of God is making forms and filling it. We talk about that at creation, that it was without form and void, and God takes and makes forms like land, like sky, like sea, and he fills them with the things that he uh, designs for them. He is taking one of those forms that already exists, the liberation and the people of God, he's taking one of those forms and he's refilling it with a clearer picture because it's not fully understood under the ways that they have, the kind of relationship they've been living with God. And it's been forecast that in Jeremiah and Isaiah that this, is, this new creation is coming. And it's on this day that they, they call it a coronation. They call it a triumphal entry. That in a few days' time turns into his death. The contrast and the irony of all these things is uh, compels me to smile with kind of God's imagination of how does this come about from a God point of view? It's a picture of the, the kingdom that he brings is a picture of love that he brings. The love, we see it in his own life, his life of sacrifice. But see, we see it happening unconditionally. And we see it happening, um, that unconditional agape love. But we also see it happening uh, in relationship to God and in relationship to each other. He takes all of the law and the prophets and summarizes them to one. When he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart your soul, your strength, and your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This is the kingdom that he's bringing back into the world. A kingdom that finds, uh, is expressed in justice. It's expressed in peace. It's expressed in wisdom. What do we do with, with everything that we have? Wisdom answers that question. Wisdom's the, the, gift, the gifting that's capable of answering that question of what do we do with what we have? There's knowledge, there's understanding, there's discernment, there's prophecy. What do we do with all that? And it's in this context of this people that Jesus rode a donkey. We celebrate today with with piles of palms and our children 
going through the, the ceremony, the, the learning, the forming of their hearts as we smile with them while they carry palms. Yes, practically as a, um, it happens on Palm Sunday and this is a way we celebrate. But it gets burned into their hearts and in their minds. This is a season in which we celebrate God in a special way. Did you hear one of them? That after I asked him about Easter, and she said, Oh, this is my favorite. Somehow, it burning into her little heart already was the story of God um, through our, our part in, in the church. I think, too, about his imagination of creating this from the beginning, from the setting down of his crown in heaven to become a baby, to the time in which they raised him up as a king and perhaps had nothing but a wreath to place on his head. His imagination was running rampant. And how in the world... Will his imagination turn into our imagination? That we, uh, in, in untangling our sleeves, recognize that what Jesus was saying when, he's, when, he, when a new kingdom, when a new creation and kingdom is being set up. How is it that we created in his image that our imagination would participate in his mission on earth? in the same kind of expressions that was laid out for generations, we still have a few wrinkles of our understanding of how God works that we would find ways of expressing those things in the places God has put us. kind of glad my shirt was wrinkled this morning. Gave me a very tangible picture of my own life. Of a willingness to look at what God wants to do in a way that's different than I've done it for at least 40 years. How about you? I would imagine that's true as well. That we have patterns and ways in our lives that that may seem religious and may seem to be aligned with God, but because everything's changing around us, might God open the door and still be making a new creation, still be filling forms that are his with new things and fresh things, and he is living those through you, through your imagination. It dawned on me that, uh, in fact, um, our experiment this summer with interns is just that. is an experiment with people's gifts and talents and skills, giftings, 
to come around and be around us for the summer and work in our context, meaning Mountain View, Los Altos, Sunnyvale, to work in our community, that we would rub shoulders with them and it's an experiment for them because they don't live here necessarily. It becomes an experiment for us because they might draw us out into our neighborhood. They might play in the park right in front of your house with your neighbors. And it might change. We're so good at going somewhere else to do mission. You know, I I prayed with a group of people from Peninsula Covenant and sent 110 kids to Mexico, 110 people to Mexico for the week. And they're so excited but I don't think there's 110 excited people about where, they, where God has put them every day. So God's put us in places, in neighborhoods, in homes, in homes with parks, in the marketplace, in businesses and schools. And it's those places, it's the reality of where we live and work that Jesus paints a picture of a fresh kingdom hallmarked by love. And would you use your imagination for how that works out? And would you let somebody else partner with you in that? In that new kind of um, new place. Kingdom's the wrong word. I I like one of the authors I like uses society. It's creating a new society. Because kingdom, I don't know, somebody's getting married this month, therefore our kingdom has a whole different meaning in the world. Because somebody's a king or somebody's a queen. But after that, it kind of fades away. But the society we live in never does. So Jesus came in his, in his in godly imagination doing something brand new on a donkey and with palm branches. Daily living. How about us? We're doing the same thing. We're sitting here waiting for a new one to come, aren't we? What a great time to anticipate that God is going to do something and we'll participate in that. And we'll be, our lives will be prepared because of what God is doing in our waiting. Father in heaven, what is it, Lord? We wait on your wisdom to know what it is we do with what we have. But I pray that we wouldn't use that uh, as knotted up sleeves to stop us from stepping forward. Lord, I pray that in this season of God coming, of a king coming not only to Jerusalem, but to us, and continually coming and coming, Lord, I pray that we would be open to seeing anew, seeing afresh all the things that you have. 
take away the things that have bolted our shoes to the floor. Take away the things that have made us hesitant to love, to be in relationship with people, to be, to be just to those that are the last, the lost, the least, and the little. Father, help us, and we know you are. In Jesus' name, amen.